0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. There's a lot more people at the 12 this week. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you for making room. Um, Yeah, I'm... Zach told me uh, earlier this week that he felt like he had that word to share for somebody. I said, well, just share it in all three services because there may be more than one person and it may be at multiple services. But well, wouldn't that be the enemy if he can't stop the Lord's blessing in your life to try to make you feel guilty and ashamed for what God's blessing you with? Like, like life in him should be so good, honestly, that we sometimes are like, Lord, you know? Like, but, but we have to realize like it's okay for him to be who he said he would be for you. Like, you might as well get used to him being who he said he would be, because he's faithful and true, and he's unchanging. And so if, if our mindset doesn't match up with what he's promised, then we probably need to change the way that we think to come in line with what he's said, because he's, uncha- he's unchangeable, he's faithful, he's true. I, I, that was something, I remember the Lord had to deal with me about that, was like, I almost felt like I had to apologize for his blessing in my life at times. Like, I literally would find myself, like, if I had something nice and someone commented on it, I'd have to tell them that, like, I didn't pay full price for it and I got it for this and that. Like, honestly, I was, it was almost like I had to explain away the blessing of God in my life rather than just being thankful for it. And I feel like the Lord really dealt with me on that and said, it's okay for me to bless you as long as you realize it came from me. The fact that you feel like you have to try to explain it away makes me wonder if maybe or not you don't take a little credit for it. So now I just let it be a gift and... Not be embarrassed about it. Um, The word, I I have a a message I want to preach, but there was also something stirring in my heart. I shared it in the first few services, but I want to share it in this one. And That is, I feel like um, the the Lord has really wanted to deal with, with discouragement in people's lives. And particularly in an area of sowing and reaping, where you feel like you have sowed faithfully for years, maybe, and you haven't seen the promised—you uh, know—where it says that if you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. And I think sometimes what happens is this: is that it says that that, that the Lord gives seed to the sower. In other words, He says bread for eating and seed for the sowing. And so there's there's things that He gives us that are for us to consume. That's the bread for eating. But He also gives us seed for us to sow. And, and, but the, the thing about that is, is not all seed is the same. So for instance, if you have a, a bunch of, a handful of rye grass seed and you cast it on the ground, you come back two days later and you start to see little green things shooting up and within a week, you've got full grass growing where you sowed that seed, and, and, and sometimes in our lives, things are like that, right? Like, we sow something, and instantly, you start to see the reward of it, or the fruit of it. You know, it's like, you sow it, two days later, you're walking by, you're like, oh, there it is. The seed that I sowed is now starting to sprout, and it's producing what it's supposed to produce, and that's awesome, and I'm super thankful for those times. Like, you know what it's like when you sow something? Like, you give something to somebody, the next day, someone walks up to you, and they give you something more than what you gave away, and it's like, it's this instantaneous, like, sowing and reaping. and But then sometimes I think we can be fooled into if the seed that we're sowing isn't like that. like Because you can take an apple seed and put it in the ground and it takes months before you even start to see something come up out of the ground. And what you see come up out of the ground probably doesn't look like your idea of an apple tree. But for a while you see nothing because what's happening is happening underneath the ground. It's becoming... The thing that it needs to become underground so that when it becomes above ground, it can be sustained by what's happening that you don't see. And then it takes years for it to actually grow and become a tree that's capable of producing fruit. Because if an apple tree was to start growing fruit the first month after it came up out of the ground, the weight of the fruit would actually destroy the tree. And the Lord's not interested in you being destroyed by the fruit that he puts into your life. He actually cares about you, and he cares about you producing fruit in that order. So it needs some time to grow, and while it's growing, there's stuff happening underground that you can't see, but it's preparing the tree for the season of fruitfulness. And then finally, seven, eight, nine years later, you start to see that first apple start to grow, and you start to see the thing that you imagined when you sowed the seed a decade earlier. And, and my, my, my concern is that sometimes in the body of Christ, we can get an idea of what it should look like to sow and reap because we've sowed seeds that had instant gratification, that when we walk through a season of having to wait and delay while God's forming something, we can be tempted to be discouraged and disappointed and think that either we did something wrong or God isn't faithful. Like If we don't establish this thing in our heart that we do what he calls us to do and then he brings the increase, if we have a wrong picture of him, when we don't immediately see what we thought we should see, we'll start to fault find and it'll either be God isn't faithful to what he promised or I must have done something wrong to ruin the promise. And the truth is, a lot of the times it's neither. It's the Lord doing something you can't see for a long time before he does the thing that everybody can see. I was my, my aunt and uncle are here, actually. Um, I lived at their house years and years and years ago they gave, when I wasn't doing very well. <laughs> I, was, I was not Pastor Roy at that point. <laughs> I was far from that. And, um, and they gave me a place to stay at their home, and I lived with them, and they, they sowed seeds into my life that had they looked for an immediate response, could have looked like what they did didn't matter. They could have been discouraged and disappointed and thought, God, you, you said if we prayed, God, you said that if we would... We would teach people the word that if we would love people, that your kindness would bring them to repentance. And they could have been really easily encouraged to just walk away discouraged and feel like they had failed because they didn't immediately see the fruit of faithfulness. But now years and years and years later, they get to be one of the people who could say that they sowed into my life in that time. And now they get to sit and see the fruitfulness of something God called them to. And I just, I'm so thankful for people like that. And I want us to all become those people that we're just faithful to do what he calls us to do and trust that he'll do what we can't and that we don't get discouraged and that we don't have this false picture of, of, of a gospel that's not even based on reality that says that nothing bad will ever happen or that we'll never go through hard times or that we'll never face things in the world that, that are difficult or that test our faith. And Because and, and if, if, if somebody preached to you a gospel that said get born again and, and that will be a hall pass from ever having to walk through anything hard, they didn't preach the true gospel. Or if someone preached a gospel that said, if anything bad happens in your life, it's because you've sinned or you've messed up or you've missed the mark, they didn't preach a full gospel. And the problem with either of those is that anytime something doesn't go the way we think it should, we're tempted to either point the finger at God or the finger at ourselves. And sometimes the finger doesn't belong pointed at God or ourselves, it just needs time for the thing that he's doing to come to be. Don't give up on that stuff. Realize, like, so you've faithfully sowed. You don't see something coming up right away. Maybe the longer you have to wait before you see the evidence of what you've sowed, the greater the thing that's going to grow from that time of sowing is. Because I promise you, a, a, a piece of rye grass that springs up in two days is gone after a little while, and it'll only grow about that tall if you just let it grow and didn't cut it. But an oak tree, that becomes something that other things can find shade and rest under and it produces fruit that sustain other things that takes a long time for that thing to come to maturity but it's worth it because every bit of time that it takes below the ground is then seen eventually when it comes above the ground don't walk away and give up and don't be discouraged trust him trust him with those seeds that you've sown believe him he's faithful he's trustworthy he's true And if you don't see it, it's okay. Don't give up on it. Don't be discouraged. Um, And that's kind of what the message that I have um, to preach today is about. If you have your Bibles, you go to um, Jeremiah chapter 17. Um, Because being born again and being in Christ is not a hall pass from having to face things that will try to fill you with fear. There, it's not a hall pass from, from having to face things that will cause you to doubt or that will cause you to, uh, to or be tempted to doubt or be tempted to, to throw your hands in the air and say that you give up or any of those things. Like every single person who's walking in this world, who's following Jesus, at some point will be persecuted because you follow Jesus. It's, that's what it says. It says, thank God when you find yourself being persecuted. Why? Because your life looks enough like Jesus that a world that hated him hates you as well. That's what he said to his disciples. He said, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. So when you face that stuff from people, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you actually do love him enough that you're being changed and molded into the image of the one that they hate. And you can find comfort in that. You can actually say, God, I thank you that my life looks enough like Jesus that a world that hates you hates me because it sees you in my life. But if we have this, this, this idea that the gospel is, is somehow Jesus becomes our janitor that cleans up every mess and makes sure that we never have to walk through something hard, when we find ourselves walking through something hard, we'll be tempted to, to doubt either, either the gospel because, well, if God was good, then how come? And all of a sudden, we drag God into the court of our experience and find him guilty based on the things that we've experienced. Or, like I said, we will find something wrong with us. And say, well, obviously I must have done something wrong for me to be experiencing this. Look, there are times where like, what we face is a consequence of sin. I'm not saying that never happens. But I am saying that if we're following Jesus, our first instinct shouldn't be to blame him or blame ourselves when we face hard times in the world. The first thing that Our first instinct should be to say, Father, this is the stuff that you said would be coming, and I'm so thankful that I have you. I thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. And I thank you that you said many are the trials of, wicked, of the righteous, but the Lord will redeem them from them all. I thank you for your promises. And so um, Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 17, this is kind of a, an answer to this. It's a cool, um, I love this, this. The whole chapter of Jeremiah 17 is, is really interesting. There's like these little mini points he makes throughout the thing as the Lord's speaking. Um, he, he, he's writing in chapter 17, verse 7. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and will not be anxious in a year of drought. Nor cease to yield fruit. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. God, that you didn't leave us here to try to figure this out on our own, that you gave us yourself in your word, God. You gave us yourself in your spirit dwelling within us. And Father, I thank you that, that as we read and we study your word, as we speak from your word, that your spirit does what Jesus said he would do. That he leads us and guides us into all truth. So, so I pray today that our ears would be open, that we would have ears to hear. God, I thank you that you said we have the mind of Christ, that we can comprehend the things of God. And that our hearts would be good soil, God, that the seed of your word would go into the soil of our hearts and produce good fruit, God. That a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives, that you're producing in us, and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so Jeremiah, and, and the next verse is really interesting. It's one that people quote sometimes, and, and that's why you have to make sure that, that when we study the, the Bible, when we study the Word, and when we're reading, especially the Old Testament prophets, that we know, like what made it past the cross, and what did the cross come to destroy? What did the cross come to change? Because if we take every promise from the old and try to pull it into the new, then then there's going to be times where things that were supposed to stay in the old covenant get dragged into a new covenant and distort our view of what it's supposed to look like. And, and right after that is one of them. I'm not gonna te- That's not what we're teaching on today, but I want to mention it in case you read a little bit further after I stopped where it says, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all else and who can know it? And some people have quoted that as though that's, that's a present day reality, as though that's the condition that we live in. Well, you know, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked. This is completely true today if you're not born again. However, there's a promise even in the old covenant that says, uh, and in that day, he's talking through his prophet, and he's talking about the, the stony heart of men. He says, but, but there's a day coming and in that day I will take from them the heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh and I'll write my law upon their heart and their heart will be to know me. You have to remember, like when you became born again, a new creation, he said, all things passed away and behold, all things became new. When he created the new you, he didn't reach back into your past, grab your stony heart and transplant that into the new you. He gave you a new heart, a heart of flesh, and he wrote his law upon your heart and he said your heart would be to know him. So make sure you don't live under something Jesus died for you to be free from, but also make sure you don't neglect things that were spoke just because it's in the Old Testament as though it could never be true today. And that's where it's so important, and we have to know, and that's why we have to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to know what, was, what did Jesus come to redeem us from, and what is what, like, like, you can't be cursed if you're in Christ unless you accept it, because it said that he became the curse of sin on our behalf. All cursing in the Old Testament was because of sin. So it says he became the curse of sin on our behalf when he hung upon a tree. For, when he hung upon the cross, for it is written, "Cursed is any man who hangs upon a tree." So he became the curse of sin on our behalf. And the problem is, is if we don't understand that, we'll read another Old Testament truth about generational curses, and we'll think that generational curses are still being passed down because the sins of the father are passed down to the second and third generation. The problem with that is that A, Jesus became the curse, and B, when I became born again, I now have one who is my father, and he is in heaven. And so if a generational curse is the result of my father's sin, and Jesus said to call the one who is in heaven my father, how much of his sin is being passed down? Or is it maybe now that his righteousness is passed down to a thousand generations to them that love him and fear him? And with, But with good hearts, if we're not careful, this stuff just gets passed around. And then someone points to it in the Bible and says, well, it says right here in the Bible. The problem is, is there's something else in the word that says that Jesus actually changed that when he came. And he became the curse on your behalf. But but, but if you don't know that, then you open yourself up and you go, oh, I have a curse. I have a generational curse. And suddenly you open yourself up. The Bible says, don't you know that you are a slave to that which you present yourself as a slave to, whether to righteousness or to sin? Well, it goes the same way with your beliefs. If you actually open yourself up and make yourself a slave to a curse and surrender to it and give it a place of authority in your life, it'll take the place of authority that you give it. That's why the Bible says, don't give the enemy a foothold. He can't take one, but he'll take every one you give him. And his people perish because of a lack of knowledge and because they've rejected the knowledge that has come. He said, my people, not heathen people that don't know me. He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people live under things that my son came for them to be set free from because they lack the knowledge or have rejected the knowledge that's come. And I know it grieves him because Jesus paid for it and he wants the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. He doesn't want you to suffer with something that Jesus already suffered with for you. Amen. He takes no joy in that. Okay. Now we're all on the same page-ish. <laughs> Jeremiah seventeen seven. he said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. It, it could sound, if you just read it quickly, like he's just repeating himself. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and blessed, and whose trust is in the Lord. But he's not saying that. He's saying... Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust actually is the Lord. Like, our, our trust isn't in our trust, it's in Him. Like, if we're not careful, we start reducing and making ourselves the most important factor in the equation. Like, we put faith in our faith rather than in the one who's faithful. And so like when something doesn't happen that we prayed for, and we're like, well, it says here, we prayed the prayer of faith. And it's like all of a sudden we're trying to figure out what was wrong with my faith, and and I thought I had faith. And all of a sudden my faith is in my faith, not in the one who is faithful. And now I start fault finding with myself and thinking, well, I guess this and I guess that. I'm not saying that we should never examine ourselves, but I'm saying if we're not careful, we'll forget that faith is even a gift from him, so you couldn't put it in him if he didn't give it to you. He says, whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. In other words, it's Christ in me that's causing me and changing my heart and making me put my trust in him. And so he says this, he says, um, and I wanted to say this because I think sometimes when we hear these verses, we can turn it to a zero-sum game where it's like all about salvation as a point of where we spend eternity, but the truth of the matter is a lot of this stuff has to do with our life here and now on the earth. A lot of the things that Jesus talked to us about have no bearing in heaven. Like when he said, why do you worry about what you will eat or what you will wear? Don't even the, don't even the, the, the Gentiles, they chase after these things. But your heavenly father, he knows what you need. In, in other words, like, like there, there's things that actually he's talking about for this life, not just for the next. In heaven, you'll have no opportunity to worry about what you're going to wear. You'll have a glorified body. You won't worry about what you're going to eat. You'll be at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Like that's, that's irrelevant when it comes to eternal life in heaven. So it must be talking about our situation here on earth now. And a lot of things are. Like when he said to, to, to the disciples and, and, and then he said to them, go and teach everyone to obey the things I've commanded you. You understand that there's this lineage of faith that is handed down that started with the original disciples. And he told them when he left the earth, he said, now you go and you make disciples teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. In other words, everything I instructed you and commanded you to do, I need you to go make disciples and pass that same instruction on to them. And it was supposed to be that way, and it was supposed to travel down from generation to generation to generation, and that's how the knowledge of his glory would fill and cover the earth as the waters do the sea. And somewhere along the way, we've made a distinction between what Jesus taught the disciples that we read about in the Word and what we were supposed to be taught. And we've said, well, that, that stuff's not for today as if Jesus said, "Go and make disciples, teaching them all the things to obey all the things I've commanded you." And in about a hundred years, I want you to stop teaching that stuff, water it down, and teach only the stuff that's humanly possible. It doesn't say that. That's in the book of never. <laughs> it doesn't say that. And so don't like don't be don't be like don't don't quickly switch off and 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 check out of the message because you've. You've put your trust in him with your eternal life because while that is the most important thing, and obviously heaven and hell are huge and they're real issues, and that is the most important thing, that that our names are written in a book of life and that we'll live forever united with him. But don't check out there because the truth of the matter is there's plenty of things here on the earth that we can be tempted to put our trust in something other than the Lord. Just because we've given our our trust with our eternal life doesn't mean that we trust him in every area of our temporal life. And he wants to actually be trusted in all areas of our life. And so so he, he says this. He says, blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Then he says this. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. He says, anywhere that any area of your life where you trust me, you'll be like a tree that's planted by the water and you'll extend your roots down into streams. Why does he say that? Because if we're not careful, rather than being trees planted by water that have roots in the stream, we'll be like trees that are planted anywhere else in the world, that our doing well is dependent on the rain falling around us and whether or not it's a dry season or a wet season, whether it's spring, whether it's summer, whether it's fall, rather than having an everlasting source that's greater than external external circumstances. He says this. Listen, he says, if you will do that, if you will put your trust in him, you'll be like one who is planted by, uh, by a stream of living water who puts his roots and extends his roots down into the stream. Like, this is why it's so important that we actually have good doctrine and good solid theology. Because there's so much out there that doesn't line up with Scripture and if we're not careful, we'll extend our roots in anything but a stream of living water. And we'll find ourselves living for what feels good in the moment or in reaction to something that was wrong or some, anything along those ways. But Jesus is saying, listen, I am a stream that never runs dry, and I want you to put your roots down into me so that the fruit that's produced in your life is coming from your wellspring that's inside of you, not the circumstances that are outside of you and around you. And that, like knowing that knowing what you believe is important, demanding that like the truth you're being taught lines up with Scripture doesn't make you a Pharisee. It makes you a responsible Christian and follower of Jesus. Yeah. Like you think about it, in the Word, when 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 Paul's talking about the Bereans, he exalts them above other people. He says because they took what I taught and they made sure that it lined up with Scripture. He doesn't call them disrespectful, disobedient, unsubmitted. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He doesn't tell them that truth doesn't mind being questioned because it's truth. And if we're preaching truth, we don't care if someone asks us a question about it because we can go to the source and say, this isn't what I said. This is what the Lord said. This is what the word says. Like I can't preach something that I can't back with scripture because I don't want to stand on my own two feet. I want to stand on his word and my foundation needs to be his word because the storm is coming To both houses. Being born again doesn't mean the storm says, I can't go over there. They're born again. It says that the wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the storm came to both houses, one collapsed and the other stood. It's, it's time that we actually start examining our foundations, honestly, as in Christianity and making sure, is what we believe founded on Jesus and on the scripture and on the word? Or are we following something that's been passed down, possibly in error for generations and blindly putting our trust in it because someone said so? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Do it with everything that I preach. Take what I say. Hold it up to the word. Find a place where it talks about father's sin in the New Testament being passed down from generation to generation. You won't find it. You won't. You'll find Jesus saying, and I tell you, call no earthly man your father, for you have one who is your father, and he's in heaven. Okay, so that answers that question with the word that Jesus spoke. And, and listen, if, if you've believed or even ministered, The generational curses. There's no condemnation in that. But when truth comes, we don't hold on out of pride to a belief we've held just because we've held it for a long time. We actually let truth come and replace the lie, and then we minister from a place of truth. That's why we have to stay correctable and teachable, every one of us. Every one of us. Humility makes sure that we don't hold on to a lie out of pride. Staying humble makes sure that we actually want truth more than we want to be right. And that's important. He says, if you do this, if you put your trust in him and make him your trust, like he's faithful even when you're faithless. Like your hope isn't in your ability to remain faithful. Your hope is in the one who is always faithful, who said, Father, the ones that you've given me, I have them in my hand, and nobody can take them from my hand. That's who my faith is in. It's not my ability to hold on to that hand. It's in that ability of that hand to hold on to me that my faith is in. Otherwise, I'm only doing as good as my ability. That's a scary place to be. Ask my aunt and uncle. They saw where my ability got me. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It says, and will not fear when the heat comes, its leaves will be green. It doesn't say we'll not fear if the heat comes, when the heat comes. When the heat comes, you don't fear. Why? Because your being vibrant and alive and green is nothing to do with the external circumstances. It has everything to do with the internal wellspring of life that's flowing out of you because Jesus is flowing into you. That's what he said. He said, whoever drinks of me from his belly will flow rivers of living water. What's he saying? You're no longer having to stand out there and hope that it rains. You've found a source that's never, ever running dry and that's never changing. That's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not living flush and dry and beautiful in the wet season and dry and crispy and shriveled up in the dry season. In fact, walking around looking depressed and, and kicking your can and tripping on your lip and saying, I'm just kind of going through a dry season with the Lord right now. So this is a wilderness. Like, that's not even biblical long term. There may be a short season. Jesus was there for 40 days. Why do we let it become 40 years? And the truth of the matter is, he wasn't dried up and shriveled. He was just hungry because he hadn't eaten. He was still filled with the Spirit of God. And when the enemy came and tried to twist truth, he saw through it and he said what? it is written. Meaning what? If Jesus thought the most important way to overcome the enemy was what was already written, we would probably do well to make that our way of it. it. I'm telling you. Listen, he is the word. When he speaks, it becomes the word. He could have spoke a new word in that moment and it would have become recorded scripture, but he didn't. Why? Because he wanted to give himself to us as an example because he's our example in all things. And he said... It is written, it is written, it is written. Could he have prophetically answered the devil? He could have. But the problem is then you have to hope that you have a prophetic word every time the enemy comes to you if he he gives us that example. Maybe he wanted us to live by something that's always available to everybody and that's to know the written word of God and be able to answer in the day of trouble. He's either our example in all things or he's not. Did he prophesy at times? He sure did. Is prophecy legitimate and for today? Absolutely. But when he was tempted by the enemy, who used scripture by the way? That's why Paul said, be careful for the fine-sounding arguments. It's not the person that walks up to you and says, hey, you know this whole thing about there being a God isn't real. Like I've already seen too much. I've already experienced too much. I already know too much for me to believe that lie. No, the fine-sounding arguments, it's the lot of truth with a little twist in there. And that little bit of leaven ruins the whole lump. And the enemy comes, and he takes a true thing from God's word, but he twists it. And what does he twist it for? Selfish gain. Yes. When people use the word of God to try to manipulate others to do what they want, Jesus came right back at him and said, wait a minute, it's written, it's written, it's written. We would be wise to do the same. You remember he told the disciples, he said, and in that day, when he's done with the Holy Spirit, he said, and he will bring to your remembrance all these things that I've spoken Make sure that you know the things he's spoken so that there's something for him to bring to your remembrance. Otherwise, you could find yourself in a world of trouble. See, if you don't know what he spoke, how do you know when it's twisted to you? If you just eat it from a spoon, how do you know? That's what happened to Eve. Has God really said that you shouldn't touch or eat this fruit? No, the Lord never said that. He actually said, "The tree of this, the fruit of this tree, don't eat it for the day that you eat it of it, you shall surely die." And the enemy comes and adds a little thing in there, adds just a little thing. He says, "Wait a minute. Did the Lord really say that of that fruit you shouldn't even you shouldn't eat or touch it? And see, here's the problem. He says, Did the Lord say you shouldn't eat or touch of any of the fruit? First, he casts this, this dispersion on God, like, man, God's really not that good. He put you in this place, in this beautiful garden with all this fruit, and then said you can't eat or touch any of it. And Eve says, oh, no, no, no. But see, she's already bought the lie. She didn't respond with, no, he said this, and respond truthfully. She said, no, no, just the, just the fruit in the, of the tree in the center of the garden, the one of knowledge of good and evil, of that, when he said we shouldn't eat or touch. And she added to what God said after the enemy added what God said. And then all it takes is the enemy walking over and touching the fruit. And suddenly, because what we believed was based on a lie, when that lie gets destroyed, we get destroyed along with it. I just picture him. I, I I picture him walking over and saying, oh, really? You can't eat or touch this or you'll die? I touched it. I'm not dead. What else has God been lying about? Oh, you know why he doesn't want you to eat this? Because in the day that you do, you'll become like him. And suddenly, because she didn't know what God said, and she based what God said based on what someone else told her, when, what, when one part of it was proven wrong, every bit of it is now in doubt. And make sure you know the word of God for yourself so that you can't be deceived by someone taking apart a lie that you think is truth and you being destroyed in the process. It happens. It happens. And then people turn their backs on things and say, well, I guess none of it's real. No, just that part over there wasn't real. That was twisted for selfish manipulation, selfish gain. But don't you turn your back on the rest of it just because one thing you bought into was disproven. But don't let it fool you again. Know the word. Study the word. Be in the word. He says, will not fear when heat comes. Its leaves will be green. We'll not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. I thought of two different things in the Bible, and I'll I'll close up with this. I thought of two different stories in the Bible when I was thinking about this. The first one was the prodigal son. And what an amazing example he is of someone that's actually not rooted and grounded in truth and hasn't planted themselves in the stream. But someone who goes to the father for something And then when he receives something from the Father, takes off and heads out into the world and tries to live forever off of what the Father gave him as a one-time thing. And the truth is, he's doing fine as long as the world is doing fine. It says, then when a famine came, See, he's living off of what's going on in the world. He's taken something from the Father, and he started in the Father's house, and he started with something he received from the Father. But because he didn't plant himself in the Father's house, and because he didn't have a continual stream that was coming up into him because his roots were planted in the Father's house, he decided that he would take what he got from the Father and go out and live. That's not a tree planted by a stream. That's a camel looking for a drink. It's the truth, and too many Christians, if we're not careful, become like camels where we live from encounter to encounter with nothing that's grounding and rooting us in the middle, and so as soon as what we gained in this experience is gone, we have to hope we get to the next experience so that we can get refilled rather than being continually filled by the stream of our life that is daily being poured into by intimacy with the Father, and the sun goes out, and he goes out into the world, and as long as things are going on, you know the truth is, is you can live that way for a time. You can be uprooted. And you know what the truth is? is there's certain things, like you, you pull that blade of grass out of the ground by the roots and you toss it on the concrete, you can walk by that afternoon, it's shriveled up and die. But there's trees out there, there's juniper trees that, you can, that live for months while they're uprooted because of what was stored inside of them. And for all the world looking, they look like they're alive because the foliage is still green. But they're disconnected from the source. And it's just a matter of time before the green starts to turn to brown. That's not how he wants us to live. He's called us to live. Sure, encounters with him are amazing. I've had some that have changed my life and just dramatically marked my life. But I can't live from encounter to encounter. I have to live daily planted by the stream of living water in daily communion, in daily fellowship, in daily being filled so that I have something to overflow. That's what keeps me alive. I'm not like a camel wandering around the desert hoping I don't die before the next oasis. I'm like a tree that's thankful when the rainy season comes. But when it's not raining, I know where my source is and I'm not going to wither up. I'm not going to die. My leaves aren't going to get brown and crispy and I'm not going to stop bearing fruit just because the season's changed. That's his heart for us. That's his desire for us. And I, I want to encourage people with this because I know over the last couple years, some of us have gone through some hard things. Some things that we never anticipated going through, that we don't even have answers for, that we had no grid for. We weren't even praying against because we didn't even imagine the possibility. Hard things. And a temptation of the enemy is when you're going through a hard season to make the next season the place of fruitfulness and the place of green leaves rather than understanding, no, God intended for my leaves to be green and for my tree to bear fruit even in this season. My Savior isn't a next season. My Savior is Jesus in this season. And I was thinking about, about Mary and Elizabeth. On one hand, you have Mary, the teenage girl who probably isn't even praying to be pregnant because she's not married and isn't doing the physical thing necessary to be pregnant. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Elizabeth, who's no longer praying because she's past the age of being able to bear children. She's past the age of fruitfulness. But it says in the Bible, and in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. His fullness of time looks like a teenage girl who's not to a season of fruitfulness according to the world that loves him gets chose to bring forth his son, the Christ. And a woman who over here who, when he talked to her husband and he told Zechariah, he said, Zechariah, the prayer which you no longer pray. In the original language, it says, the prayer that you're not even praying anymore has been answered. We're busy thinking that the next season or the season past is where the fruit is. And God's saying, I want to bear fruit in whatever season you're in, if you would just come after me and trust me. And then think about this. For a moment, the greatest in the old, which was passing away, and the new, who was and is and is to come, coexisted for a time. The thing that was dying and the thing that was growing actually coexisted at the same time. And if people weren't careful, they could be so busy trying to resurrect John the Baptist from the dead that they missed Jesus standing in front of them saying, come follow me. Don't spend all your time looking back and mourning the thing that's dying. Spend your time looking forward to the one that's saying, come follow me into new life. Some of the most fruitful times of our life come in the heels of the hardest times. Some of the most fruitful, some of the the most life-changing, some of the most amazing things are birthed in the wake of something else dying. It said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it's alone. But if it would fall to the ground and if it would die, then it would spring up and it would bear much fruit. Don't spend all your time looking down and ruining and mourning the seed that died and fell. Spend your time looking for what's the fruit that's being produced now in this new season as the old passes away and the new comes. Otherwise, you'll be reduced to waiting for a season that's to come or mourning a season that's past and not actually bearing the fruit that he's called you to bear in the season that you're in. And you'll have crispy, dry leaves. You know what the amazing thing about having green leaves in a season of drought is? Everybody notices. The world, the people around you, they know the things that you're going through. To an extent, People know the things that you're dealing with. They see some of the things that are happening in your life, and they're watching your life. And what they expect is it's a season of drought, time to dry up, get crispy, and wither. But the more they look, the more they start seeing, not only is there green leaves, but there's new leaves growing. And and it's a season of uh, of, of famine, but yet their life is still fruitful. They're, They're not putting their... Fruitful season off for when the famine leaves because their fruitfulness isn't tied to external circumstances. Their fruitfulness is because of the never-ending well that their roots are down deep in, that's springing up within them and producing new life. So I want to pray for you. I do. I, I have it in my heart to pray for people with one of two things. One, you've either been discouraged because you feel like the seed that you've sown you haven't seen the fruit of, and you feel like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're starting to wonder if you even sowed the right seed, or does God really care? Or will he really be faithful? Will it really produce the fruit that he promised? If that's you, and, and you feel like you're in that season where discouragement is tempting to grab a hold of you because you haven't seen the fruit of the seed that you sow, would you just stand up where you are, and we're going to pray for you. The next thing is, if you've been tempted to think that your season of fruitfulness has passed, or tempted to think that your season of fruitfulness is far away and right now is just a dry season and you feel abandoned, I want you to stand as well, and we're going to pray for you in that. Yeah. Anybody else before we start praying? I promise you, the Lord has more ahead of you than you've left behind you. I can say that confidently because he's always more. Always. So God church, would you just, if someone's standing next to you, just extend a hand towards them if that's okay with them. And, and let's just pray that the God of all comfort, he's, Jesus said one of the names for the Holy Spirit was the comforter. He wouldn't call them that if there weren't circumstances that we needed to be comforted in. But he's also the encourager and he's the helper. So let's pray right now that the God of all comfort, of all encouragement and all help and all hope would come and just flood their lives. That, it would be, that they would be overloaded with, with hope to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and not live in despair. Father, thank you for that. Yeah, just pray for them right now, right where they're at, church. We give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. We're thankful for your word. Would you keep us in your word? Would you help us to keep ourselves in the love of Christ? We thank you for who you are. We thank you for restoring hope where maybe hope was starting to be lost, for joy to come instead of mourning, for the oil of gladness to come. God, that you would give a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness that trust would begin to form again, that we would begin to look at situations with new eyes, God, old situations with new eyes, with the hope that is you, Jesus, that our lens of our glass would be tinted by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.